I have never taken LSD or any kind of hallucinogenic drug, but I have read the book of Ezekiel. Of all the weird and bizarre parts of the Bible, none are more mind-altering than that of this prophet of old. And if you've been reading along in our Bible Project Daily Scriptures, you've been on this psychedelic ride too. As I was preparing for the Bible Project last year, I read each of these daily scriptures with my clergy covenant group, and when we got to Ezekiel, my friend Scott Smith, who is the pastor of First United Methodist Church in Ormond Beach, wrote these words. Ezekiel should start with, welcome to the freak show. He said, He's, he is out there. I am not sure that I would have listened to Ezekiel, he said. This book is so whacked out, it is hard for me to focus as I read it. Cooking on cow manure, tied up where he can't turn over, shaving your head, burning it. I would love to see the Board of Ordained Ministries psychological evaluation of Ezekiel. Scott was right. Ezekiel is unique for many reasons, not just because of his wild and fanciful word imagery. If you listen to the excellent Bible Project podcast this past week with the Reverend Dr. John Goldingay, he reminded us that Ezekiel is the only person who served as both a prophet and a priest. He came from a priestly family. His occupation was to service the temple and minister to the people. And then later, God called him to be a prophet while in exile in Babylon. And what that means is that Ezekiel, with all of its strange passages, offers us nearly a 50-50 mix between messages that comfort the afflicted, the priestly role, and messages that afflict the comfortable, the prophet's role. It is the rare book in the Bible that offers an equally balanced word of judgment and a word of hope. And the problem is, the people weren't willing to listen to either of them. I mean, which of those two do you think would be harder? To tell someone you love hard truths about what they need to change in their life, but they are unwilling to listen? Or would it be harder to tell someone you love a word of comfort, but they're also unwilling to listen? I mean, you've probably had plenty of practice delivering those kinds of messages. Which kind of deaf ears are harder to have? A stubbornness to accept the bad news or a stubbornness to accept the good news? Now ask yourself the opposite question. Which kind of message are you reluctant to hear? A message about your blind spots and aspects of your life that you need to change? Or a message that things are going to work out better despite the evidence? I mean, which, which message is harder for you to believe? Well, deep down inside, I think we are reluctant recipients of both messages. And I, I suspect that the conditions of this pandemic and racial unrest and a, a longing for familiarity and connectedness all amplify the stubbornness in our ears to hear both challenge and comfort. Well, Ezekiel comes to us at just the right time with just the right kind of wild imagery to, to break through our stubbornness and get our attention. There are two passages that I'd like to unpack for you this morning from this book, one at the beginning and the other toward the end. First, an image that comes at the very beginning. As my friend Scott Smith suggested, the first five chapters of Ezekiel are a whirlwind 
of imaginative visions. He, he eats a sacred scroll in order to internalize God's message. He, he creates a play model of Jerusalem and destroys it like a kindergartner pretending to be a dinosaur. He lies on his side for a year and then the other side for 40 days. He makes a, a weird bread out of seeds and scraps and, and eats it. In fact, you can find Ezekiel bread at your local grocer. And he shaves his head and he burns his hair an act of judgment based on the idea that if you have long flowing hair, it's a, a sign of strength and prosperity. I don't quite like that one myself. But the very first image in Ezekiel is of God. In the very first chapter, we hear the story of how God called Ezekiel, who was already in Babylon in exile at the time, and it begins by describing strange beasts with faces of humans and bodies of animals with each of them with two wings and four feet and next to each of them were wheels wheels within wheels wheels connected to other wheels all of them pointing to various compass directions moving in whatever directions they wish to go this was an image of God unlike anything the Israelites had ever seen in Israel this was not an immobile God a God seated on a fixed throne on the temple mountain. This was not an image of a God who filled the brick and mortar of a glorious temple and stayed there. Those images of a God who were, who were stationary and immovable were gone. Instead, this was a wheel. This was the image of a God of movement and adaptability who was, who was free and able to go in whatever direction God pleased. In other words, this was the God who could go with them into captivity. They thought that their misery, they thought that their heartbreak was proof that God had left them or that they had left God behind, but quite the contrary, according to Ezekiel. The first thing we hear from him is that God was mobile, enough to move with them into captivity. And that alone may be the word that you need to hear. There is nothing that you are going through in your life right now that is outside God's presence and power. God is with you. But it's the second image, the vision of the valley of the dry bones, that is the most famous of Ezekiel's visions and the one that I think is the most helpful and hopeful and timely for us today. In Ezekiel 37, the Spirit of God commanded Ezekiel to go into a valley that was full of bones Imagine the, the elephant graveyard in The Lion King or the La Brea Tar Pits in Los Angeles. And now consider the fact that this was an unmistakable scene of violence, war, death. The sheer number of these bones suggested that this was the setting of a battle in which the bodies of the defeated army were left to rot. I mean, there, were, there was no decent burial. There was no ordering of the bodies to lay them to rest. It was a vivid reminder of death and hopelessness and the worst that humanity was capable of. Now, as we imagine Ezekiel walking through that valley, sidestepping rib cages and, and dodging leg bones, we hear God asking Ezekiel this question in verse 3. Can these bones live? Can these dry bones live? How would you answer that? The great preacher and writer Lillian Daniel wrote an essay in which she asked that same question of modern-day dry bones. 
She says, there's a woman sitting at her kitchen table after the children have left for school. She was barely able to muster a goodbye smile, and now that there is no one else to perform for, she gives in to the absolute loss of energy that sweeps her very morning. There are dishes to do and errands to run, but it will be an accomplishment if she spends the school day awake and does not give in to the overwhelming temptation to go back to bed. Can these dry bones live? She asks. There's a boy whose thoughts turn to the end of his life. Would anybody miss him if he were gone? The anguish inside him seems so great that death appears to be the only relief, and he ponders the way it might happen. Can these dry bones live? She asks. Her husband sits in front of the television for hour after hour. They have not spoken for more than a few words to one another in days, and she remembers when they were dating, they could spend hours at a coffee shop discussing big ideas, and now he rarely has an expression on his face, and his eyes have been drained of joy, and he stares blankly at the screen. Can these dry bones live? Well, in the end, Ezekiel's response is the only honest one we can give, because he says, God, only you know. And that's the truth. But here's another truth. As Frederick Beekner said, resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. And so God tells Ezekiel to stand amid those dry bones and open his mouth and speak. Prophesy to those bones, Ezekiel, he says. Say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And as much as you and I might resonate with the dry bones in this passage and connect to parts of your life that need to be revived and put back together, I think there is an unmistakable challenge for you to see yourself as Ezekiel today. Just like God called Ezekiel in the midst of an exile, the only prophet called outside of Israel, as a matter of fact, God might be calling you by first reminding you that God is mobile and free and by your side, and that same God is calling you to use the power of your words to speak life into someone else. Sometimes it will be a priestly kind of word. Sometimes it'll be a word of comfort, a word of encouragement, a word of hope. There are people who you know who are discouraged and they need a good word. And they're starving to know that they are loved and that they matter. And you may be the one that God is using to be an Ezekiel for them, to lift their spirits and to soothe their brokenness and remind them that, they are, that there are brighter days ahead. No, they will not always be open to hearing it. No, you will not want to use trite cliches and saccharine sweet phrases. And yes, sometimes the word you can bring is simply the silence of your presence to let them know that you are for them, you are with them, you are there to walk with them at their own pace. This is a life-giving word. And sometimes yours will need to be a prophetic kind of word, a word of conviction and truth-telling, speaking into the blind spots that you identify in others or in society or to the powers that be. It may be a message of truth that the, that the recipient does not want to hear because sometimes love shows us what we don't want to see in ourselves or in the world. No, you do not need to be judgmental. No, you do not need to be condescending. 
And yes, sometimes this word of conviction needs to be turned inward to scrutinize our own faults before we speak into those of others. But this is a life-giving word as well. But just in case you think that this job is too hard and these words are too difficult to bear, just remember that God does the resurrecting, not you. The bones did begin to rattle. They, the pieces began to shake and reassemble themselves like Legos in the Lego movie. The tendons and muscles began reconnecting and the skin began to cover them up again and they stood up straight. But even though Ezekiel spoke life into the valley, these bones were still lifeless. They were still zombies. They, their bones were connected, but their lives were not yet revived. And it was not until a second voice, the breath of God, literally the spirit of God, began to exhale into those bones in verse 9, coming from the four winds that those bones animate to new life. And in the midst of these difficult days, when you survey the news headlines and the, the landscape of human suffering around you, when you consider the heartbreak of those you know, and even the brokenness within your own spirit, when you, when you ask the question, can these dry bones live? Hear God's word of hope and speak that word of hope so that we might hear these final words from Ezekiel in today's reading. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land that you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you for journeying with us into our suffering and our distress. Wherever we go, you are with us and there is no place we can go that is outside your presence and your love. So speak to us words that challenge our blind spots. Grant us comfort and healing when we are fearful. Help us to speak life into those who are dry and weary and show us that by your grace, these dry bones might live. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord.